Welcome to Market Corner Conversations, sponsored by Foresight Health. This is where outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Market Corner Conversations is Foresight Health's regular podcast series. It explores the intricacies of market-driven health reform. We dig deep into the U.S. system's structural inefficiencies. We explain how its artificial economics and distorted business models rob the American people of the great health care they deserve. We identify and talk with innovative companies that are reinventing healthcare delivery by being better, faster, cheaper, and more customer-friendly. We have a special uh, guest tonight, Rushika Fernanderpol, the founder and CEO of Iora Health, which is truly one of the more innovative healthcare companies in the country. It's It puts the muscle in primary care and thinks entirely about the uh, holistic care of people uh, and building relationships and has been a big part of transforming what I believe is, is a major movement in the country toward uh, much more expansive primary care, and we can get into that uh, in a moment. But first, uh, Rashika, welcome to Market Corner Conversations. Thank you. It's great to be here, Dave. Yeah. Maybe uh, maybe we could start out by your giving us a little bit of background on on yourself, and which I know is an interesting story, and how you came to found Iora Health and uh, what, your, what your vision for the company is. Sure. So I'm a primary care doc. Uh, and I was like many primary care docs in practice for many years. Uh, and I think it's uh, not hard to figure out very quickly uh, that the current model is broken. Uh, I had a colleague put it really clearly to me. I remember it was a, a cold February day in Boston. It just got dark at 3.30 like it seems to. I spent, you know, all day uh, seeing, you know, 30 patients in the time to go to the bathroom, let alone go to lunch. I had to stay two hours after work to point and click and do all the EHR things to collect the meaningful use dollars and all of that stuff. And, um, and, and there was another colleague who was staying there with me at 8 p.m. at night. And she looked at me and she said, Rushika, every day I lose a little piece of my soul. You know, we went into wow. this to help people uh, and they come with such big needs and I just can't do it in the current system. And the system's getting worse. And I think I realize she's exactly right. I don't see myself spending my career continuing to do this. Uh, the system doesn't work for patients. It doesn't work for doctors. It clearly doesn't work for the system. It's bankrupting the system. Uh, and, and I think the big realization was that I spent a lot of my career, I mean, it's not brilliant to, to figure those things out, to doing what everyone else was doing, which is making small incremental changes. And I think I realized maybe what we ought to do is simply start over mm-hmm. uh, and build a new system from the ground up. And, and that's what Iora was. Actually, I started about 14 years ago, so a long time ago, uh, with a company called Renaissance Health, the rebirth of primary care. And the idea was simply build a practice and do it the right way. Uh, and um, that has sort of progressed over time to what we're doing now at Iora. And I think if you ask me what's the key nugget of it, the key nugget is that we built the current U.S. healthcare system on a series of transactions, everything about documenting, coding, and billing, everything turns into a like widget off the line and do more mm-hmm. stuff to people. And uh, last I checked, transactions have never healed anyone. The thing that heals people is relationships. And so we needed to build a model that's based on relationship and not on transactions. But that meant not building on top of this current transactional chassis. You were to blow it up and start over. Right? One of my favorite quotes was, uh, is from Michelangelo. They ask him, how do you get the pieta, you know, this beautiful sculpture? And he said something really beautiful. He said, well, what I do is I take a block of stone and I chip away everything that's not the pieta. 
right? And and that's what we have to do is not add more stuff onto the broken system, actually take things away and start over. Yeah. I once heard someone describe the U.S. Uh, health system as uh, the show on MTV, Pimp My Ride, you know, where you have this yeah. old, <laughs> old, old broken down chassis and then you, you load it up with all kinds of stuff. But at, the, at its core, it's still this old broken down chassis. Well, let, let's, let's, let's stay on this topic a little bit. I, and I'm, I'm fascinated by the idea that we had to, had to blow it up and, and start all over and chip away so that you have something beautiful like, uh, like Michelangelo at the end. Maybe the most important role in um, uh, performance improvement is that you fix a system or you have to fix a system before automating it. And so what we did in healthcare with electronic health records was we spent tens of billions of dollars uh, automating uh, a fragmented broken system. And the byproduct has been we're, we're burning out doctors at, at levels we've never seen before. Um, you know, two hours of administrative time, like you were saying, giving up a piece of your soul uh, for every hour they get to sp- uh, spend with patients. And so t- tell me how you were able to overcome this legacy system burdened by uh, transactions, revenue cycle, um, you know, old ways of doing things, fighting between insurance companies and providers and and uh, with the patient off- after an Often an afterthought. Um, you know, just tell me how you you fix the problem first, and then and then sort of automate it and scale. Just to get into that a little bit, because I think the audience will find that fascinating. Someone once told me, "Oh, it's too hard to change everything, so we have to change a little at a time." And that's what leads us to this incremental change model, whether it's you know Six Sigma or uh, you know the whole slew of acronyms you can use. Uh, I actually disagree. I just think it's too hard to change a little thing. <laughs> and uh-huh. that maybe one needs to actually change everything. And so we simply started, I simply started saying we have to change everything. So number one is you have to change the business model, right? I think trying to, you know, the current business model for healthcare in general, but primary care in particular, is fee-for-service, pay-per-thing you do. And there's this crazy sort of system of 99213s, 99214s, sort of coding the game that you play, um, to decide how much you get paid per thing you do. And it's all a waste of time. It all gets in the way. None of it leads to better healthcare. So point one is you have to change the payment model. I just think trying to innovate the system without changing the payment model is a waste of time, right? Mm-hmm. So all this medical home stuff is a waste of time. All this ACO stuff without fundamental changes are a waste of time. All the CMS's current advanced payment models, despite the rhetoric, are all built on a fee-for-service chassis. They're a waste of time, right? And we shouldn't be surprised that none of them show results. Right. Uh, so we started by saying, let's fundamentally change the business model, right? And we, we think it's got to be a pure play value-based business model. Um, just give it sort of a, a fixed amount to take care of patients and let us get on with it. What that, and by the way, double down on primary care. Primary care is typically 5% of healthcare spend. Let's double down on that. Um, what it does is it completely changes the nature of our job, right? When we are paid fee-for-service per thing we do, your job is you walk in the door in the morning, you do the best job you can with each patient you see, you do what you're paid for, you document, you code, you bill, and you go to the next patient, right? That's not the right job. The right job to be done, the channel, like Richard's in a bit, yeah, is, yeah. Uh, is that we have a population of people and they are our problem. And our job should be to improve their health and to keep them out of trouble and do whatever it takes. Right? So, so, so you've got to start with the new business model. Then you have to actually completely change the 
delivery model, right, based on that. And so we build sort of very robust team-based care and give everyone a personal health coach and a shared care plan. We interact with e- by email and text message in, in groups. We reach out proactively to people. We integrate mental health. We um, give them rides when we need to. I mean, it's a completely different delivery model. Uh, we then had to build a completely different technology stack, right, because you mentioned the electronic health records out there. Uh, despite the hoo-ha, are built to automate the old system, you know, pave the cow paths, uh, help you document code and bill higher, not actually improve health of patients. They actually get in the way, so we had to build our own uh, IT platform. And then you build a whole new culture as well, and a whole new salary model, right? So you have to change everything and align everything. And so that's, I think, what allowed us to, um, to actually be successful is actually change everything. Well, for those of you who may not have heard this story before, I, I actually have a, a personal IRS story. Our our housekeeper, Daisy, um, been with us uh, for over 25 years and we signed her up for one of the IORA plans. And she, before that, she'd been uh, – we, we live in Chicago. She'd been at uh, a Cook County health plan and she just absolutely loved loved IORA. Um, she would go up there and uh, she was taking yoga classes. Turned out she was pre-diabetic. She was changing her diet. She was learning how to cook more healthy food. And One day she came back and uh, said to us, you know, Iora is completely the opposite of Cook County. At Cook County, I go down there and I wait for two hours for somebody to yell at me for five minutes. At Iora, you know, I go whenever I want and people will talk to me for two hours about how I improve my health. And, you know, building that kind of powerful trust-based relationship is so powerful. I mean, just powerful. And so she's really started working on her her health in fundamental ways. And maybe that's a nice bridge to to talk uh, – let's stop uh, complaining about the current system and talk about what what your vision is for the new system and the company and how we can bring this type of um, holistic, uh, hands-on care uh, into into the hearts and homes of, of so many more people in the United States because – Obviously, uh, we've spent more on healthcare than we've ever spent, but in many ways, our country is sicker than it's ever been. So, uh, unless we change the way we're interacting with people and helping them make smarter choices, uh, we've, we've got a future that I don't think any of us are very excited about with more chronic disease and greater inequality and less happiness. So, maybe maybe talk about the um, how you see the the company. Um, getting into the lives of people, which we have a sense of, but also expanding and scaling and becoming a much more important component of the delivery system so that the benefits your patients are experiencing today translate across a much larger universe of people. Yes, that's a great question, Dave. So the mission of our health is really transform healthcare, right? So it's not about providing better care to the, you know, few tens of thousands of people we happen to serve is to use that as a lever to change the whole system. And I think our theory of change uh, maybe best summed up as the Southwest Airlines theory of change, right? So, uh, you know, U.S. Airlines circa 19, you know, 80, high fares, awful service, you know, and what changed? It wasn't uh, the government. It certainly wasn't consultants or people writing books about it or, um, or, or it wasn't U.S. Airways and Delta waking up one day and deciding to get better. Right. It was one thing alone. It's a new entrant, Southwest Airlines, who showed up in the market, you know, and, and it's all yep. this, all this sort of subsequent JetBlue and Spirit, et cetera, and offering radically lower prices and better service 
Uh, and that, uh, obviously, the customers that went on Southwest got those, but they voted with their feet and left United, New York, and Delta. Right, and right. that kicked them in the behind that they had to change. Right? It was a credible outside threat. So I think, really, that's our mission, is to, to actually um, change the world, not pretend to convince anyone of anything, but just demonstrating a better model and getting customers to vote with their feet. Right? And, and uh, you know, we're already starting vaguely to see that. Uh, you know, in, in a few places. Uh, just recently, Mark Harrison, the CEO of Intermountain Healthcare, right, great right. health system, uh, he gave a quote to Modern Healthcare and he actually called us out by name. He said, I'm petrified that someone like IOR Health will show up in the market and clean our clock. We better disrupt ourselves before they do, right? Which is exactly what we're trying to do. And I think that's how we try and change the system. Oh, that's such a that's such a uh, an insightful uh a uh, series of points that you've made, Rashika. Uh, you know, I, I, this idea of people voting with their feet, I think, is uh, is really what moves markets um, much more effectively than 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 government policy. Uh, you know, we like to say that uh, demand driven change yields superhero results. So, you know, McDonald's is experimenting with kale salads not because they don't want to sell more burgers. It's because their customers are, are saying, you know, we're kind of tired of burgers. We want, we want kale salad. Um, let's, let's expand uh, a little bit uh, from this to what, what's going on in the marketplace. I, you know, like you and, uh, uh, and the, the, what, what feels like everybody else in healthcare. I was out at J.P. Morgan last month and listened to many of the presentations and interacted. And it, it feels to me like healthcare is now dividing into a, a two-front war and it's being driven, as you were saying, more bottom-up uh, and through market-based reform than, than top-down. And uh, by the way, I, I, I agree with you, these top-down initiatives, value-based payment, less than 1 percent savings to the government, that doesn't even take into account all the money health systems have spent, choosing wisely, huge effort to change physician behavior without changing payment, um, no, 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 no movement in practice patterns. But what I think is starting to happen in an organic sort of way is this two-front war where on the front end, um, companies are starting, starting to battle for members uh, and, and controlling uh, the relationship you know, into the care system. You could look at the Aetna CVS mergers as one, one illustration of that. And then on the, uh, on the delivery side, uh, we're seeing, I think, much more uh, emphasis going into clinical precision, right care, right time, right place, right price. And there are fundamentally different uh, aspects of the healthcare system. Both are absolutely necessary. And it feels like the market's starting to organize around those two challenges, you know, uh, getting connecting, getting members and so on, which is which is new. We've you know American healthcare is about the only business I know that executes transactions uh, without customers. People go to the doctor. <laughs> the doctor tells them what to do, somebody else pays for it. But you know, with with deductibles, uh, individual deductibles approaching five grand and family deductible, average deductibles closing eight grand, you know, consumers are starting to have some real say in this. So what what do you think of this idea that the system is beginning to reform itself? With companies like Iora on the front end, um, you know, competing for members and uh, channeling the care, uh, and then 
on the back end where the care is actually delivered and necessary, uh, they're being much more precision and getting the right care in the right place at the right time and the right price. Yes, yeah, so, so I think those two trends you mentioned are exactly the right two. Yeah. Um, I may add a third one, which is helping them. Uh, but I think there, it's a both and, not neither or, right? So uh-huh. I think uh, number one is a lot of attention to value-based care, right? So how do we sort of give people the right value? Mm-hmm. And number two is this consumerist trend, right? How do we sort of actually meet the needs of consumers, attract them to join? You know, and the third trend, I think, is, is going digital, is going from the paper-based analog system to a digital one, where we use okay. technology to help us do both of those. These things work well together, and I think the problem yep. is they, they've been sort of very separate, right? Because if you can engage consumers, you can engage them, and uh, and most of the time, particularly in the commercial space, they're in high-deductible plans, so you can help them actually you know, spend their money wisely if you do value-based care, right? And you can use the savings you generate from better care to pay for, make their consumer experience better, right? So these things really feed on each other. Um, I think there's this interesting thing happening in healthcare right now in the market and really accelerated the last three months where people are starting to figure this out. Uh, and I think what's really the interesting question is, because healthcare absolutely has to become more consumerist and value-based, is will healthcare institutions, big health systems and health plans, figure out how to do that, become more mm-hmm. consumerist and value-based, because they're not at all right now. Or will, cu- will companies like Amazon, Apple, uh, Walgreens, CVS, who are very consumer-centric and value-based, figure out how to do healthcare, right? It's not entirely clear to me who's going to win that battle. Right. Uh, and I think what's interesting about Aetna CVS is it's, it's Aetna makes a big bet that this is the future. And we need better link ourselves to a company that knows how to do consumer stuff. And, you know, what you hear about Amazon you know, getting into the game. You know, they um, they hired one of our senior geriatricians, which is a little annoying, but um, <laughs> in the big picture, good for healthcare. Right. Uh, you know, but it, it, they are serious about coming into the healthcare space. You know, Tim Cook gave a speech yesterday where he talked about Apple going beyond just making devices and actually getting involved in healthcare. Uh, and so we're, we're in conversation with a number of those folks we're talking to. So I think that the next uh, four or five years will be very interesting. And I think... Uh, if healthcare systems have been sitting fat and happy and thinking uh, that nothing's going to change, might might want to rethink that. Yeah, you know, the powerful are often the last to know that their influence is diminished, and the power relationship between big health systems and and customers has been one sided and distorted for a very long time. So, uh, I I think it's an open question whether whether and how many uh, of these organizations can change. I mean, uh, Mark Harrison, who you mentioned earlier at, at Intermountain, is uh, doing everything he can to push that company forward. And Intermountain already had relatively high marks uh, with, within the industry for, for being on the cutting edge of change. And, and Harrison gets there and says, you know, we're, we're still a little too complacent. There's a whole lot more we need to do. So, I, yeah, I, I think that's right. I. I, you touched on the the announcement, uh, the Amazon uh, Berkshire Hathaway, J.P. Morgan announcement, and then also the Tim Cook speech. Um, one of the things that I've been most disappointed about in healthcare is how little value uh, employers have demanded from the system, uh, particularly since they're paying premium prices to access it. Um, and I'm wondering if if these aren't uh, some fairly tangible signs that employers aren't going to take it anymore either. And one of the things I've always admired about uh, your model, um, 
Rashika, is that you're not limited to just Medicare Advantage the way some uh, some of the uh, some of the expanded primary care companies are. Uh, you contract with businesses. You contract with labor unions. Uh, you do do uh, you know individual and 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 group plans as well. Um, could you just talk about how you go out into the marketplace and uh, engender interest in this really expanded primary relationship-based primary care model, you know, uh, and are able to win over companies um, uh, and who put their trust in, in your company to manage the care of their employees, arguably their most important resource. Just talk about that a little bit. Yeah, and so for us to be successful, for us to even work, we have to be paid differently. That was my first point, which yeah. means that we have to what we call sponsors. And and we've been pretty open about, you know, if people want to work with us, we're sponsors, we will work with them. And so we have, we have various, uh, some of our customers are individuals who pay us a fixed amount per month. We, uh, including all the way down to, you know, we have a great practice in Jackson Heights, Queens with a group called Grameen America for largely undocumented, uninsured poor women who are, you know, paying us a dollar a day mm-hmm. to get our sort of primary care. We have contracts wow. with employers and union trusts. That's so uh, powerful. You know, yeah, no, it works, yeah. works great. You know, we work with people, union trusts like the Carpenters Union in Boston, uh, employers like the Group Health uh, GIC, the state employees in Massachusetts, and you mentioned Medicare Advantage plans. We've contracted on the exchange before. So, so we're pretty open to, to all of those. So two parts, you know, one is we, um, uh, we, need to, uh, we need to have sort of visionary leadership. And why is that? So, so one of the general secrets is <clears throat> when you're doing healthcare rights, this relationship-based primary care, um, it may, in the very beginning, actually may cost more, right? That, that mm-hmm. often we have overuse in U.S. healthcare, but we also have underuse. And if you do the right thing and you pay attention, uh, you, you know, you might actually do some catch-up care. And, you know, what you're doing is you're changing behavior, and that doesn't happen immediately. Uh, and so what we find is it takes a couple of years. So certainly by year three and often by year two, we're seeing the impact. But you can't look six months out and say, uh, oh, show me your savings. Mm-hmm. We're, like, well, we're not there yet, right? So, so one of the issues we have, and I think one of the big problems we have in U.S. healthcare, is people don't have enough patients, right? This is a really hard problem. And thinking we can solve it in one, certainly not in a quarter, and so not even a one-year insurance cycle, right? This is, these are five, ten-year problems we need. I think uh, we have a lot of structures, whether it's the VC markets or the one-year insurance cycle, as I mentioned, or quarterly profit earnings, that don't lend themselves to long-term thinking. So wh- what we do is we look for visionary leaders of either health plans or uh, employers or union trusts who have long-term time horizons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we look for investors who've got those sorts of things, too. Right, because that's what we have to align all of those to be successful. Are are you finding that uh, there's greater demand for this? That the employers and unions and other other groups are beginning to understand this isn't a short term fix. It's it's a longer term behavioral challenge, and and will take some time. Will take some resources. Uh, is that is that universe of, of companies expanding? Companies and organizations expanding, willing. It is slowly. The, the, the other hurdle you have to get people over is that um, maybe in order to change, we need to not only work with the people we have. So there are many employers 
we're so used to being sort of cozy with the big health system in town or the big health plan in town. And, um, and they can't see themselves to, you know, um, working with a new entrant, right? They think somehow that's sort of un-American or something, which I think is exactly the opposite, right? right? I think if, you, if we go into this saying we can only work with the people who we currently have, there is zero probability that things will change, none, right? Because then they have zero incentive to actually change. So I think what we say is, you know, bring us in, we'll be a, a catalyst. So again, uh, up in, um, uh, you know, we have a practice uh, up in Hanover, New Hampshire, uh, where Dartmouth College brought us in to build a practice for their employees. They're the biggest employer in town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we built a practice, and uh, patients voted with their feet. So after the first, um, uh, you know, three years, about a third to, you know, or more of Dartmouth College employees uh, left their practices and came to us. And so the existing practices all of a sudden started waking up and saying, wait a second, maybe uh, we need to start having health coaches and opening extended hours and doing email with patients and upping our customer service game. Uh, and it really did raise the bar across the market because there was a new entrant in town who, um, who were doing things differently that customers like, right? And that's exactly what ought to be happening here. Yeah, yeah. So I imagine it's easy for you to recruit doctors, right? It, it sounds like paradise for doctors. Uh, I'm sure it's not. But, but the idea that you can spend as much time as you need with patients, uh, that the patient and the system are 100 percent aligned. One, let's, let's keep you healthy and out of the hospital. But if you do get sick, we'll help you get a second opinion. We'll help you navigate. We'll help you find the right place to get your care. Uh, just tell me what it's like to be a, a physician at Iora. It must be uh, – I mean, there must be some people who, who show up sort of work the first day and almost can't believe it. But um, uh, Yeah, no, no. So, so this is an amazing place to work for the right people, right? right. So, um, so, so we do a lot of things that are very countercultural. So one of the things we do, for instance, is that we um, – no, the doctor is part of the team, uh, but doesn't necessarily uh, act like in other places. So we run a huddle every morning where the team sits around the table and we talk about our patients. Who runs the huddle? It's not the doctor, right? The first thing we say every day is we all run the practice, we all run the huddle. And so the doctor does get a chance to run the huddle once every 12 days. Um, the doctor doesn't sit at the head of the table. They don't wear a white coat. They don't get a private office. They don't um, have a, a special parking place. Right? So if you're a doctor who I'm the king of the castle, I'm captain of the ship, I'm in charge, this is not the right place for you. Right? Now, by the way, we tell a doctor, by the way, you're still in charge. Right? You're the most expensive person here. You're the most um, trained person here. But our leadership philosophy is you have to lead from beside other people. Mm-hmm. Right? Not, you know. Now, again, this is not for everyone. So what we're not doing is what almost everyone else in healthcare is doing, is go to an existing practice with 10 docs and try and convince all 10 to move to this new world, right? Because what happens, you get one or two who are just going to be resistant and they, they sabotage it for everyone. So we're not doing that at all. We're saying we're doing something new. The one or two who really want to do this, you come over here and you work with us. And everyone else, you keep doing what you're doing. Uh, by the way, and I say this under my breath, someday we'll take your patients away. Right? <laughs> That's what's going to change. And then what happens is we, we've seen this half play out. Then the third guy who's on the fence sees the, the, the other two who came over. Wait a second. Not only is what they're doing not scary, uh, it's better than what I have. Can I come over? And then the fourth one comes over, right? And, and so that's, again, a different theory of change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what we do. So we have plenty. We can find plenty of docs in the beginning. Arguably, we only have 60 or 70, but it's tiny in the big scheme of things. But I think we have plenty more docs, particularly primary care docs. This is why they went into medicine. 
and we can attract them over. That's great. So what's, what's Iora Health look like in five years, do you think, uh, as these trends start to play themselves out, value becomes uh, more apparent and transparent? Um, people understand that th- there needs to be a little bit longer horizon, so maybe they start doing longer contracts. Just what, what do you think Iora looks like in five years, and what does the marketplace look like in five years? Yes, I think a couple of things. The one is we keep trying to push in our model. Uh, and in particular, you know, boy, and again, what we're doing is building a new operating system, which is both a sort of process model and a technology model. Mm-hmm. And I think really what we're trying to do is how do we even more radically involve patients in their own care, right? Because I think that's something that we do really poorly in the healthcare system. We do it well everywhere else. You know, think banking, think airlines. You know, right, when's the last right. time you had to call someone? And, uh, so I think that's better care, better consumer stuff. It all tracks well together. So we're going to keep pushing on that. Uh, because we can. Um, you know, number two, we're going to keep growing, right? And I think as we uh, find you know, Medicare Advantage insurance, employers, um, you know, maybe someday they'll fix these exchanges and we'll go back on them, <laughs> you know, for um, individuals. Uh, but, you know, I think we're going to get going to grow. Uh, you know, we're thinking about you know, all the practices we're building now in De Novo, right? Start from scratch, the things of beauty. We get approached all the time by existing docs. Is there any way you can help me sort of convert my practice into an IRA practice. And, and we have not done that so far, but I think at some point we will sort of think about how we do that. You know, do we offer IT platforms, some training, some, you know, some package that we can have sort of a wraparound uh, network? You know, we, we, we keep thinking about international expansion. I think the problems we're solving, uh, you know, uh, oh, aging populations, chronic disease, uh, are the same problems everywhere. Right, and, right. You know, uh, and we've had conversations, and at some point we will likely pull the trigger to figure out how to do this elsewhere. So I think there's a lot of interesting stuff we can do. Yeah, that's interesting about uh, uh, training old doctors or, or getting old doctors new tricks. And you know, maybe you could take the approach to the Viet Cong, you know, where you send them to re-education camps. And <laughs> <laughs> hard labor and, and uh, you know, they come out as supposedly better people. Well, I tell you what, we're, we're, we're near the end and this has been terrific. But maybe to, to wrap up and, and, and put a bow on our, our conversation, uh, Rashika, why don't you give me an example of a, a patient um, uh, story that, that ties together everything that Iora Health does so well? Yeah, so I've got hundreds of them, but maybe, I'll, uh, you know, so people ask, what is it you do that actually makes a difference? And we had a patient in one of our practices. I remember I saw her the first day uh, and a health coach who, you know, saw her with, you know, before me came into doc, this lady's a hot mess. And go in and see her and, you know, she uh, had this blank look in her eyes, her hair's disheveled. She, um, I look at a chart, she's got uh, diabetes out of control, hypertension out of control, not taking her medicine, in and out of work, going to the emergency room all the time. Uh, and so we talked to her. Um, I gave her, she got a health coach. She started going to some of the groups we do. Uh, and I ended up leaving that practice uh, because I was trying to figure out how we start a second one and how to bring this to scale. Mm-hmm. And about six months later, I came back to visit. And the doctor took over for me, Dr. Neil Patel. He said, hey, Rashika, remember that lady came in the first day you told me it was a hot mess? Uh, she's back. I want you to meet her. I was like, sure. So I walk in the room, and I don't recognize her. She looks amazing. Hair is combed, little makeup on, glint in her eye. Uh, I look at her chart. Her diabetes is under control. Her blood, her blood pressure is under control. She's taking some medication. She's eating better. She's back to work. No ER visits. And I was like, Joyce, what's the name of Joyce, you look amazing. She said, thank you, doctor. I've never felt better in my life. So I said, Joyce, uh, tell me, what have we done to make you better? 
Uh, so what she did not say is, you have a good business model, you have uh, you know, a great IT right. system, you, know, you have great guidelines and processes. She said something very profound. She said, Doc, you all cared about me. You taught me to care about myself, and I didn't want to let any of us down. Right? You cared about me. Wow. You taught me to care about myself. I didn't want to let any of this down, right? Very simple. That's the sharp end of the sword. We have completely forgotten that in U.S. healthcare with all these, you know, 99214s and meaningful use and MACRA and MIPS and all this other stuff, right? They get in the way. Again, Michelangelo, chip away everything that's not the pieta. This is the pieta. Now, in order to get that, we had to build a different business model, a different process right. model of tuning health coaches. We had to build a different IT system. We had different space design. But again, that's the sharp end of the sword. That's what we're doing. You know, we call it restoring humanity to healthcare. In some ways, it's really, really simple. We've been doing it for thousands of years, uh, and we're just trying to go back to that in some way and actually move the market in that direction. Well, what a what a great place to land. I, you know, the untapped human potential in this country that's lost to bad health habits and poor lifestyle choices and uh, isolation, um, depression is 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 profound and increasing. And uh, you know what's so inspiring about that story and about the company as a whole is it. I think it gives some hope in some places where hope hasn't been um, you know seen lately. So uh, you know, Rashika, on behalf of us all, thank you so much for what you do and. Uh, thank you for sharing uh, some of your thoughts on on the company and and the state of American healthcare. It's uh, it's really an inspiring story. So, uh, from all of us at uh, at Foresight Health and the Market Corner Commentaries, thank you so much for for speaking with us. Great, it's been fun. Thank you, Dave, and all the best to, to you as well. Okay, terrific. If you're frustrated with healthcare, if you want to understand how the system is reinventing itself through relentless bottom-up market-driven reform, please subscribe to our podcast at foresighthealth.com. Be a rebel with a cause. Help us fix American healthcare. Until next time, this is Dave Johnson.